got a couple of good ones here for you. One is, uh, this just came in from uh, Karan in India, which is our missionaries there in India. It says, uh, on ministry with the students yesterday, they go out and, and do ministry. Uh, she says, this guy, and she actually sent me a picture, it's on my phone too. This guy followed us as we walked back home because he saw us heal a deaf lady who got her hearing back as well as was freed from breathing problems. Then asked for his ears. So he was deaf. He saw a deaf lady begin to speak and he started following them. Then he asked that their ears, that his ears would be healed. He took us to his house. And as all the ladies looked on skeptically, he started hearing again. Then later, as we were walking home, he showed up and started following us. It looked almost as a Bible story to me. He was so happy. So he, he saw a healing and asked, hey, what about me? And he got healed also. And then as they went out ministering and going, he just joined with them and went with them. So uh, that's what it's supposed to be. Amen? That's a good, good testimony. Amen. All right. Um, here's one from Ghana. Yep. Uh, yeah. His name is Jeffrey. He says, hello, Daddy Curry. My name is Jeffrey. I live and work in Accra, Ghana. I call you daddy because you're my mentor, even though I'm yet to meet you in person. And God bless you for the free DHT workshop videos on the internet. They are a great blessing to me. The way I pray for the sick has changed dramatically. My confidence level in healing the sick through the name of Jesus has risen so high. I pray now for the sick with more confidence and authority, knowing that healing was in the atonement. And he said, I really want to get closer to you and learn I've always had a passion for healing the sick from infancy, but I need your help. Once again, thank you. God bless you. Uh, kind regards, Jeffrey. So that's a person in Ghana that we will be in contact with more directly. Uh, we get those, these kind of testimonies all the time. This is, uh, and especially after just going on a trip like we just did, uh, we get a lot of, uh, a real influx of testimonies of people saying, this is what's going on, this is in our life. So just telling you, the message we preach around the world, it's the same one we preach here, and it works around the world the same way. Amen? Because it's the gospel. We don't change it when we go anywhere else. Everything, as a matter of fact, if anything, I'm generally harder on people there than I am you. I'm more, usually more direct, because I know I'm only going to be there three days. And, I, and it doesn't matter if they like me or not. So I'm usually meaner to them than I am you. So just count yourself blessed. Amen? So, okay. Now... Let's get in the Word of God. Amen? Matthew chapter 28. Today we are talking, this is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday, right? And so we're going to talk about Pentecost. I want to talk about the day of Pentecost, and I, want, I got a real simple question. Is it worth it? Is, the day, is Pentecost worth it in your life? Was it worth it? Is how you're living worth the Holy Spirit living in you? Right? Or is He bored? Did He get bored when He moved into you? All right? Or does he get excited when you wake up? Because he knows today we're going to do something. Right? Matthew chapter 28. Let's look at some things. And Jesus came, and we need to push that timer back there, whatever, whoever's going to do that, unless y'all don't mind staying here until 2 or 3 in the afternoon. I don't care. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe, which means to know and do, all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Mark 16. 
verse 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. You hear that? These signs shall follow them that believe. Not they might, not to those that are gifted, not to those that are special, those that are highly anointed, all these other things. You know, I would challenge um, one of the things I'm going to be doing here very quickly, uh, doing some teaching on the anointing. I would challenge you to find any time that it says where a person was anointed more than once. Right? You will never find it. You won't find it. Right? Now, the closest you'll get is that you'll see a spiritual anointing and then a physical anointing to actually represent the spiritual anointing that's taking place. That happened with Saul. But you will never find a place where God anointed a person or a thing more than once. Once will do it. Right? And yet in the common church today, everybody talks about, oh, they're anointed. Oh, the anointing was there. The anointing came down. That person was anointed. God, let your anointing rest upon me. Every Sunday they pray that same thing. That is totally unscriptural. It is anti-scriptural. It is not biblical. Right? You're anointed one time. That's when you get born again. Amen. You got that? You're anointed as a son. Anointed and appointed and placed into position as a son. And after that, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, dwells upon you, dwells in you. We're going to see this in just a minute. And what people call the anointing is simply the arm of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the power of the Spirit. Uh, and it's just those things manifesting in a person's life. But it's always there. Right? And that's the anointing. That's the truth about the anointing in 60 seconds. Okay? So, I'll give you something to study out. But <clears throat> let's look at what he says here. <clears throat> in verse 17, Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. And you hear that? They shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, right? Now, notice, he says, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, <clears throat> notice these are just, these are just statements, right? This, there's, there's really, the only qualifying statement in these statements is that they believe. You get that? Not be anointed, not have gifts, not any of that stuff. See, those are things that God deals with that we don't have to. Right? Whenever you read about Jesus and his life, how many of you know everything he did, he did by the Holy Spirit? And if he did everything by the Holy Spirit, then how many of you would know that all of the gifts of the Spirit would, would have been present in his life? And yet, you know, you don't see that anywhere in the Gospels where the gifts of the Spirit were being manifested or that they were talked about. Isn't that something? Never said, and here it says, Jesus, you know, perceived their thoughts. Okay, that's a gift in operation. But it didn't say what gift it was, and it didn't bring attention to the fact that the Holy Spirit was in him doing the work. It gave attention to the fact that he was meeting the needs and that he saw this going on. Why? Because Jesus operated in the fullness of the Spirit. He didn't operate by burst of power. He operated in the fullness, meaning all the time walk this way. Right? That's, and really, that's what I'm trying to get this congregation to. I want everybody operating in the fullness of the Spirit, not just in gifts. We can go after gifts, and gifts is usually the, one of the first uh, you know, station stops, if you're thinking trains that most people would stop at, they would stop along the way of gifts before they get to the fullness of the Spirit. Doesn't have to be that way, but that's just the, the normal path for most people. You could just jump in headlong, 
go all the way in and just operate in fullness of the Spirit, get filled with the Spirit, stay filled with the Spirit, operate in the fullness of the Spirit, get your mind off of your gift, your anointing, your ministry, and just get your mind on the fact that people need Jesus. And you have him and you can give him away. Amen? Amen. And as long as you're thinking along those lines, then because the idea, teachings about gifts have become so much about the person rather than even the gift or the person of the Holy Spirit. It's become about the, the individual person, about making them famous or making them a name or something. And so we have to move away from that. We have to. So he says in John 14, let's go to John 14. John 14, verse 11, Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. In other words, if you don't believe what I'm saying, look at what's happening. Right? How could I do this if God isn't with me? That's what he's saying. Verily, verily, I say unto you, now notice he's talking about him, now he talks about us. He that believes on me, that would be you if you believe on him. The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now look at verse 13. And whatsoever, underline that, underline whatsoever. Now what does whatsoever mean? It means whatsoever, right? It means everything, right? It means nothing left out. It means anything, right? Okay? You need to expand your vision of God. You need to realize that God can do, really, I hate to say it this way, it's not so much your vision of God that you need to expand, it's your vision of you. Right? You need to realize, because everybody says, oh, God can do anything. God's big, He can do anything. Okay, if that's true, what can He do through you? Right? Because it's not what He can do. Because we know he's God. He can do anything, right? The real key comes in is what can he do through you? And, and the problem is you can put a, a fire hose on a, on a faucet or you can put a garden hose. Most people see themselves as a garden hose rather than a fire hose. You need to realize, take, take that off and just let God be God, right? Get your mind off of you and do what God would do there and he will do it through you. Right? If you will step out in faith in these things, he will do it through you. Now, he says, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Now, is there any uh, doubt there at all? Any hesitation? I mean, is there any, any out there? Is there anything there that you can look and go, oh, well, there's, here's the, the, you know, the quantifier. Well, he says, that, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you realize why God answers prayer? It's so that he can be glorified in Jesus. Not, not for you. It doesn't, it doesn't validate you. It doesn't prove anything about you. You know, it just, I guess it could prove you had a need, right? That'd be about the only thing it can prove. And, but here he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You need to realize whenever God's answering prayer, he's, he's, he's being glorified in the Son. And you need to realize that's why he answers prayer. He, he does, I'm going to maybe shock some of you, but you, you already know this. It's just the way I'm going to say it. God does not meet your needs based on the fact that you have needs. You get that? If he just answered your needs or met your needs based on the fact that you have needs, not a person in this world would have needs because they would all be met. But he does not meet needs based on the fact that you have needs. He meets needs based on the fact that you trust him and believe him that he can do it and then let him do it through you. A lot of people believe he can do it. They just don't let him do it through them. And so there's all these uh, short circuits that people end up going through that short circuit the power of God. 
You know, well, he can't do it through me. Well, he can't do it for me. Why would he do it for me? You know, I haven't been the best person. You know, I got mad yesterday. I got mad last week. You know, whatever. Okay, come on. I mean, the Bible is very clear. God knows what we're made of, right? And yet, and he says that even the prophets, even Elijah was a man of like passions, just like we are. See, we always think that, and, and that's what we were talking about just before the service, is that most people that hear men of God speak divide themselves from that person and say, well, that's them. God uses them because they're special, they're gifted, they're anointed, they have this or what is. And, and honestly, the reason God uses anybody that he uses is because they trust him. And some people say, well, no, but then how come God uses preachers many times more than he does average people? Probably because preachers tend to, not always, but tend to spend more time with God. They go after it. They pour themselves into it. They, they, they have dedicated themselves to getting it. And God would do the same thing through anybody else that would go after it. That's what he says. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So he doesn't say he is a, he is a rewarder of preachers. I know a lot of preachers that will stand and they, they have to beg and going under and they got all kinds of problems and these things going on. And, you know, they're, they're preachers. And if God just met the needs of preachers because they're preachers, then you wouldn't have, you know, most of the people on the different television stuff begging for help. But it isn't that. Everybody has to believe. Everybody has to diligently seek God and go after the things. And by doing that, it's amazing. You know, there's an old saying uh, that the harder I work, the luckier I get. You ever hear that? It's an old, old saying. I mean, it's been around for years. I heard it. And, and it's funny, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing because basically what it's saying is that opportunity tends to come to those who apply themselves. And so it's, God is the same way. If you apply yourself to the Word of God, if, you, if you're a, a, a workman that studies to show himself approved unto God. See, all of these things, we can go back and all this. God isn't just dumping stuff on anybody. You have to realize he has already dumped it all out, but our problem is we have kept the windows of heaven shut by our belief that God only uses that person or won't use me or whatever it is. And we have to realize God doesn't look at, oh, minister, layman, clergy, uh, you know, Christian. He does, that, that is not in his vocabulary. He looks at us and says, basically, saints, what are you going to do? Where are you? What, what are you responsible for? And, and as you, if you were here during the nine o'clock, you know what he looks at you and goes, ah, four talents, three talents, five talents. So what is he looking at? He's looking at your potential, at what he knows you are capable of doing for him. And then what are we doing? We say, well, God can't use me. And he goes, are you kidding me? I've dumped 10 talents in you. And so far I've got zip back from you. Time to get busy. Time is running out. Amen? Good morning. <laughs> you all awake yet? Okay. Amen? All right. Well, he says here, watch this. Still in John 14. John 14. He says, uh, John 14, 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, he just said that just before that. In verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. How many times he got to say it? He says it over and over again. Ask, what do you want? What do you want to do? You know, the bad part is, if God asks most people, what do you want me to do for you? Most of them say, can you make sure my bills are paid? It's like, really? Come on, get a vision. You know, pray for a nation. 
right? Pray for, for ministers to be cast out into the, into the harvest. You know, get a vision. Get, you know, dream bigger than just you. Get outside of yourself. Get your mind off of you. And look to the world. The world needs help. It's messed up. I've been out there. I've seen it. It's not pretty, right? And many places it's darker than it was the last time I was there, which is sad because that means the Christians aren't doing with the word what they should have been doing with it. And we have to realize that if there's going to be a light in this world, we're it. You say, well, Jesus is the light. Yes, and he's in you. So let your light shine. Amen. It's that simple. At some point, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get us fired up to actually believe and start saying, let's get together and let's pray for this. And let's get this thing to happen. Let's get this to stop and start causing these things to pass. That's why we're here. We are here to be a safeguard. We are here, you know, and... and Depending on your viewpoint, I know the viewpoint I was raised under on end time stuff, and I heard different things, you know, depending on what church group I was around at the time. But I remember hearing uh, Hilton Sutton years back. This is way, way back, back in the 1980s, 70s, late 70s, early 80s. And he was talking about how, and, and there was always a controversy over he that hinders will hinder. And he's talking about the Antichrist can't show up until... Uh, that which hinders is taken out of the way. And everybody's talking about what is that that hinders? Is it the Holy Ghost? Because uh, if it's the Holy Ghost taken out, then you can't be, uh, nobody can be saved because you're saved by the Spirit. So, you know, it's just all, everybody was debating back and forth. And it was so funny because everybody looks at these, these things of how the Holy Spirit, the, he that hindered, and it's talking about, well, that had to be the church. The church had to be taken out. So there's your rapture. And if, you, if they, when was it taken out? And they've got, you know, this whole end time thing built up in certain ways. And we have to realize, regardless of any of that, your light has to shine. Regardless. And, and the, the good news is, the darker it gets, the smaller your light can be to put out a brighter light. Right? And the darker it is, the smallest light gets brighter. So when people say, well, but it's so bad, it's so dark. Great. It's that much easier for you to shine. Right? Why? Because you have that much more opportunity. Amen? And so we know that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Amen? And everything we do is by grace. Whether we heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, it's by grace. Nobody does it by works. Nobody does it because, you know, they've, they've attained something. You don't attain. You just walk with God. Right. If you're going to try to, the only thing it talks about attaining basically is the, uh, a better resurrection. You know, that's what Paul was trying to get. Imagine that. He said that I might attain the resurrection. He wasn't even sure at that point, you know, that, that he had it. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm heading that way. Why? But he's, what was he saying? I've got to finish my course to get it. It's not done with. Right. You see, we got to realize this. This is an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing process. You know, you didn't breathe yesterday and decide you don't need to do it today. Right? If you did, you're dead. Amen? You breathe every day. Why? And faith is like breathing. You do it every day. You live faith every day. Amen? And every day should be better than yesterday. Your faith should be doing more for the kingdom of God today than you did yesterday. So, he says here, in verse 15, here's another good one. John 14, 15. If you love me, think about my commandments often. Is that what he says? He doesn't say that, does he? Agree with the creeds. Hmm, doesn't say that either, does it? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep them. Do them. Know them. Do them. Doesn't say think about them. Doesn't say talk about them. Doesn't say gather up and debate on what they mean. Boy, you are quiet. So he says, 
if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father. And notice him praying the father for you is dependent upon you keeping his commandments. Well, I don't like that. That's by grace. It's by grace. You got in. You get that? It's by grace. You got in. That's that's the grace. You're going to be you're going to be judged according to your works. See, people don't like that. Oh, oh, you know, I'm afraid of works. You're going to be more afraid when you show up without any. Amen. That's just straightforward. You know, I just all I can do is read what the Bible says. So he says here, uh, and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Another comforter. You get that? Another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That notice he doesn't say that he will come and go whenever he feels like it. You get that? What's the comforter do? He abides with you forever. Isn't that right? Okay. And he says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. So what are we talking about? The spirit of truth, the comforter, dwells at this time, dwelt with them and was going to be in them. So there was going to be a change in the way a theologian would say it, in the economy of God, right? There's going to be a change from what takes place from whenever Jesus was standing there with them and what was going to happen literally on the day of Pentecost. And that's why I'm bringing this out because he said, I, now watch this, he goes on. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. But notice, he dwells with you and he shall be in you. He's a spirit of truth and he's another comforter that'll abide with you forever. Do you realize all of those are the same person? The Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Then he says, at that day, at what day? At the day that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth dwells in you, not just with you, but in you. In that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you. So what is to be one of the chief characteristics of this day? That we know that we are in him and he's in us, right? This is a new creation right here in the Gospels, right? And yet they didn't get it. So... He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. Well, let me read that one again. He that has my commandments and keeps them. Notice not just has them, but he that has them and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. Now see, now we get, if we actually read this and believe it, now we get nervous. Because now it says that God's love is selective. Do you hear that? He says, he will be loved to my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John chapter 16, verse four. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. In other words, you're just upset that I'm going. You don't even care where I'm going. You should be glad for me, but instead you're sorrowful. He says, nevertheless, now look at this. This is the whole verse. This, this is the heart of the message today. If you didn't hear anything else, listen carefully now. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, 
before I go any further than that, I want us to just camp here for just a minute. Notice what he says. This is a, probably the most unbelieved verse in the New Testament. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. It is better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I cannot send the comforter. He, he, he will not come unless I go. But if I go, I can send him to you. Do you get that? Jesus said, it's better for you that the comforter be with you and in you and abide in you than for me to be there personally by your side all the time. You hear that? Now, I, I guarantee you, the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians do not believe that verse. They're always calling for Jesus to show up. They're always trying to get him to be there, always trying to get him to show up, always trying to, oh, Jesus, if you were, if you were just here, there, you know, Mary and Martha, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. If you were here, you know, where were you at, Jesus? It's your fault because you should have been here when I needed you. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. The one that's in me that would have done what I would have done if I was there, he's in you. So you do what I would do if I was there. He said, it's better for you. Why? Because if you know that the comforter lives in you and abides in you and abides with you forever and he's not going to go anywhere, then you always have constant access to anything that I would do if I were there personally. Do you get that? Do you realize what a privilege we have? And what are we doing with it? I know y'all keep hearing this from me over and over again. And I'm really not, you know, just trying to spank you if that's the way you maybe feel what I'm doing. But, you know, sometimes you have to do CPR, and to do that, that can get kind of rough on people whenever you're just trying to shove them into them. <clears throat> so this isn't a spanking, this is CPR, okay? And so I, I don't, I, I'm trying to come up with a real quick, you know, acronym for that CPR, you know, Christ put right back in. I don't know, something in there. Anyway, so, but you need to realize that I, I'm here trying to stir up you know, your, your most holy faith. I'm here trying to get you to trust God and believe what he has said in his word about you, right? Do you realize that's what today is? And, to, and here's the saddest thing. You want to hear the saddest thing I could say today? We are celebrating the anniversary of the day of Pentecost. That's the saddest thing I could say. We shouldn't be celebrating the anniversary of the day of Pentecost, of the day the, the Holy Ghost came into the church. We shouldn't be celebrating that. We ought to be celebrating every day exactly what happened on that first day. Wow. And not just doing it again. And, and we're no different than the Jews in that sense, if that's what we're going to do, of just celebrating the day of Pentecost. And we have to realize we're not, please understand me, we are the fulfillment of what Jesus was trying to do. Right? It's not in a future date. We are the fulfillment now. He said that without us, he said God has provided a better thing for us than those of Hebrews 11 because they all died in faith, not having received the promise. But he has provided something better for us and this better thing in us. He says that what I've given you, the people of Hebrews 11, were not made perfect if it wasn't for you. In other words, what they're believing would not have come to completion if I had not given my spirit to you. But now you are the fulfillment of this. You are what they were waiting for. You have what they were waiting for. Do you get that? Yes. We have this. I mean, I could go through all these scriptures. We have this, this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, what do we have in these earthen vessels? The spirit of the living God. He that is in us, that's it's greater than he that's in the world. This is, who, this is who is in us. The same spirit that was in Christ, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. 
And you say, well, how come we're not seeing more? Because we spend all of our time doing other stuff. We spend our mind and our time in our mind somewhere else. You know, well, I got to get a break. Well, I got to, you know, disengage. I've got to do something. I got to just break away. I've got to escape, you know, my everyday life. Well, you need to escape and stay escaped from your everyday life. You need to live the Christian life. And when you live the Christian life, you won't need an escape. Amen. See, that's why people say, oh, I can't wait till the holidays get here and I have some time off. And I Man, I hate the holidays. Why? Because everybody takes time off. And, and the, the devil doesn't take time off. Cancer doesn't take time off. No sickness takes time off. Only Christians take time off. And they take time off from God most of the time. And so that they can spend time doing stuff, acting heathen, and, you know, call it celebrating a holiday. And we end up acting just like the world. You know, most people, you know, whenever New Year's is on a Saturday, or I'm sorry, when, the, when January 1st is on Sunday, and New Year's Eve is Saturday night, you know, have to, most churches have to shut down their services. Why? Because nobody could come because they're all hung over. Right. Now, what does that say about the church? That's, right. That's a fact. I mean, look at the number of reasons why churches don't have church. You know what the number one reason is? Sports. More churches shut down because of sports than any other one thing. I'm talking about on, on any certain day. They cancel services because of sports. That, I guess a bigger, better God moved into town, at least for that day. At some point, we have to wake up and realize this is either real or it's not. If it's not real, trash it. Go live any way you want because it doesn't matter. But if it is real, we need to live it. And when you say this is the best thing there is, there is nothing else like this. And we are so far behind the curve on this thing that we should be walking where we need to be walking because the word of God tells us where God wants to take us. He wants us to be fully manifested sons and daughters of the living God. Amen. He wants us walking, looking, acting like Jesus. Right. And you say, well, if I did that at work, I'd get fired. Well, then go preach. You know, whatever it is you need. <laughs> Who cares? Right. Well, then how would I get my bills paid? Uh, same way you're getting paid now, the grace of God. If it wasn't the grace of God, you'd already been fired. Simple as that. You realize, we, we have to realize, looking at the lives of men of God, they actually believe God. And we have to be very careful that we don't let this fire in us die down. That we don't, at what point do we stop being, I don't know, just people who, just go through the motions. You know, we're, we're not to be even what, I, what most people call mainline denominational people. You understand? I'm not blasting them. Please understand that. But we are supposed to be spirit-filled, charismatic, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, just Holy Ghost people. And, and very honestly, you can put most Holy Ghost, quote-unquote, people in the same room with just people that don't believe anything and you can't tell the difference. Think about that. You know, it's sad whenever a witch has to say that, that tell somebody that they have a light in them that that person doesn't have. Imagine that. We've actually had people tell us that. The people that were witches. And so I see a light in you. Uh, what about that person? No, I don't see it in that person. Right? And it's like, okay, well, the good thing is I already know what I got. Let's say I don't need to be told. But it's amazing whenever people have to be told what they have or don't have. Because I can tell you, most of, most of the world 
if you, you know, there's an old saying, I know I'm full of old sayings today, okay? But there's an old saying that says, when all is said and done, more will be said than done. And we need to realize that can't be our Christianity. Our Christianity, that's what James says. You know, everybody, I always try to get everybody to go through the book of James. Everybody ought to study the book of James. You ought to read it and read it and read it and read it. Why? Because he said, you say you got faith, I show you my faith by my works. He said, you got, you got faith, but you don't have works? Guess what? I don't even have to tell you I have faith. I can show you by my works. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm telling you who I am, but I don't have to do that. You can see who I am. If you don't believe me for the words I say, believe me for the works that I do. Look at my life. So if people look at your life, what will they see? Will they see a person, oh man, they're, you know, go-getter. They are determined. They are successful in business. Uh, you know, they're a good person. What, what do they see? Or do they say, I'll tell you one thing. That, that person knows God. They know God, you know? And, and honestly, if you know God, you can't get around people. Let me put it this way. <clears throat> if somebody knows God, you get around them. If you know God, you'll know them. It, it'll automatically... Uh, th there will be that kindred spirit. You'll, you'll know. But you can be, if you don't know God, a per Jesus could be standing in front of you, you wouldn't know it. Half the time, you could, I, I don't get it. Why? Look at Judas. He had the best teacher, and yet it didn't change his life. D do you realize that? Do you realize that, that there can be people, and the Bible talks about, as I said earlier, wheat and tares. There are people that are going to think that they are right with God. And honestly, they probably know Scripture better than half the other people in the congregation. But what are they doing with it? Because it really doesn't matter what you know. What counts is what are you doing with it? How are you living that life? You say you know God. Do you live like you know God? Do you live in faith towards God? Or do you live a life that says, i got to make it on my own because, you know, I'm here on my own. At what point do we wake up? At what point do we lay down our lives and actually become disciples of Jesus? Or do we just constantly say, well, you know, it's just a matter of a mental agreement. And as long as I believe the right doctrines, I'll be okay. I got news for you. That doesn't make you okay. You, you believe in the right thing is not the, the, the determining factor of whether you're right with God. It's, it's how you live. Matter of fact, I have a scripture here in just a minute. I want to read it. But let's, let's get back in the scripture. He says in Luke 24, we are talking about Pentecost, what it's supposed to mean. I've already told you, and, and, and as we said in uh, John 16, 7, he said, It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, real, real easy question. Is the life you're living, is it worth what Jesus went through to give you the Spirit? In other words, is the Spirit living in you, is it living to the potential that Jesus sent him to you to live in you for it. Does that make sense? Or is it, or are you just, well, you know, I speak in tongues. That puts me in this category. Is that, is that all there is to it? Or at what point do we actually say, okay, yeah, it, man, it, man, it is better for me today that Jesus sent his spirit. It'd be better for me to have his spirit. In me. I, I'm, it is actually fulfilling uh, the, the, the truth that it's better for him to be in me than if he were here himself. I mean, think about that. Because that, that's what he said. He said, it's better that I go away so that I can put the Spirit in you. Is it better? Or do most people, well, I can answer this myself, actually. Most people think it would be better if Jesus were here himself. Why? Because if he would just show up. Because if he shows up, 
then he's going to leave at some point. If he shows up and leaves, then I'll get what I need, and then he'll leave me alone, and I can live however I want. And that's the way people look at it. And yet we, we also know, you know, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Well, he moved into you. He's there too. People say, well, but, you know, then if, if it, how does he live in you? By the Spirit. We have become habitations of God by the Spirit of God. Because his Spirit moves into us, Jesus lives in us. Why? Because he's in the Spirit, Spirit's in him, he's in the Father, the Father's in him. All three, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, living in you. Now, but is it better now? Is your life significantly better right now than it would be if Jesus were to show up? And honestly, most people just wait for him to show up. So at some point, we have to stop and go, you know what? He said it's better, so it's better. So how should my life be? that would live up to the promise that it's better that he is in me than that he just shows up here. Because think about that. If it's better, then that means whatever he could do if he were there, you can do now by his spirit that is in you. So that means there's no need to wait for, what is it? Um, I heard one preacher not too long ago on the Day of Atonement, you know, come with a gift in your hand. It's funny. Uh, he, he didn't say, go with a gift in your hand. He says, come, which means bring your gift to God, but give it to Him. Right? And that's the way most preachers are anyway. And so it's why half the time I'm almost ashamed to classify myself as one because of the charlatan stuff that goes on without it. And so, but he says, if you're going to show up for God on the Day of Atonement, you have to bring a gift and according to the gift, that's how God's going to treat you. Let me tell you, God got his gift in Jesus. And he treats me according to the gift of Jesus, not according to the gift that I give him. You understand that? He got me in. That's the best gift. Now, what I do with it in here, right? Once I'm in, how do I live? So he says here in Luke 24, verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that, now, now notice this, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So now what was being preached? Repentance and remission of sins. You hear that? So, and he said that was to start whenever Jesus was raised from the dead, that they were going to start preaching repentance and remission of sins. And that remission of sins was due, now notice this, due to repentance. Do you get that? Now watch, he says, And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, here, and we see this happen on the day of Pentecost. This was a prophecy about the day of Pentecost. And he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. This is the Spirit. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. And that word power is dunamis. It's a miraculous ability. But now notice, until you be endued. That word endued literally means uh, to die. Like if you take uh, a cloth, and it, like it's white cloth, and you put it into a red dye, and the, the dye goes into the very fabric itself. It doesn't just cover it. It's not like taking paint and covering the top of it. It is dyed. It is permeated. Now get this. It means you tarry in Jerusalem 
until the Spirit comes. And whenever the Spirit comes, He's going to come upon you and He's going to endure you. He is going to work to permeate every aspect of you, every cell, every part of your being. He is, you, he is going to die you. You get that? Think about that. You know, recently um, they were saying that whenever they're, when they do autopsies now, they can look at the organs because the organs now are taking different colors because of the colors that are put into our food. Now think about that. So they can open someone up and you got Technicolor, right? Why? Because of the colors that, of the, that's put into the food. Think about that. So it makes all the reds redder and <laughs> the blues blue, I guess, I don't know. But it makes it brighter. That's, that, that dye in the food has permeated, it has endued you. You get that? And now it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has endued you. That's one of the things when I talk with the people that were under Dr. Lake for all those years when I interviewed them and I would talk to them and their minds were so clear. And I would say, how is it that you remember these dates? Oh, it's because Dr. Lake taught us that as he taught the Spirit of God, when we received the Spirit of God, that he actually permeated the cells of our brain with life so that we could remember better, so that we would have more clarity of thought. And he said, we have to realize that every cell is energized with the life of God. And I'm like, man, it needs to be preached today. You know, the day when we have uh, far more Alzheimer, far more mental disabilities than we've ever had in history. People, the people in church need to be taught that the Spirit of God can permeate the cells of your brain to make you smarter, to make you have more life in yourself, to make you more creative, to be able to discover. You know, for the first, what, 16, uh, 1600 years, 1800 years? Yeah, first 1800 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know that the vast majority, I'm talking like 90% of all discoveries and uh, science, uh, advancements in science were by people of faith. You get that? And, and you know why, and, and get this, people of faith, well, put it this way, now science has tried to make itself at odds against faith, and you watch, now you're going to see a difference in the creativity take place, and the people that are people of faith will have greater creativity than people who are not. Why? Because that's what the Spirit of God does. That's what this Holy Spirit in us does. That's what the day of Pentecost, now I'm not saying that's what it was for necessarily because what it's for is to give you power to be witnesses for him. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. It's not so you can talk in tongues and be part of a group, right? It's not even so you can have gifts. It's not so that you can be blessed. There are people who do not have the, the baptism of the Spirit as we know it and yet they live blessed lives because they have faith in God. But you have to realize the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit baptism is so that you can have power, miraculous ability, so that you can be witnesses for Jesus, right? Which, by the way, the word witness there, of course, is the word martyr, right? So <clears throat> I, I guarantee if you're gonna be a martyr for Christ, the Spirit of God is on you, amen? Because he's what it, it empowers you to go through whatever you have to go through to be that martyr. So he says here, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth, as usual. It doesn't say that, I said that. But anyway, he was known for that. Okay. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, 
I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached. Now notice Peter's preaching here, right? And he says in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Now, notice this. First off, this is a direct Okay, you can get along with people you disagree with. Amen? Come on, I mean, you do that all the time, right? You get along with people you disagree with. But when it comes to Scripture, we can disagree with other faiths, quote-unquote, but we cannot compromise what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says that, now notice this, that whom they slew, what does that mean? It means he died, right? And they hanged him on a tree. Now, that flies in the face of Islam. Islam says that Jesus did not die. He merely swooned, uh, passed out, and they took him off and then hit him and that kind of stuff. So they don't, they don't believe that he died physically, right? Uh, because, well, <laughs> that would make him special, wouldn't, I, wouldn't it? And so it says, Him God raised up the third day. So three days later, God raised him up and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Now, that's as simple as you can get it, right? And he commanded us, now watch this, to preach unto the people and to testify that he, that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. So who's going to judge you? Jesus. What's he going to judge you by? His word. That's actually what he said. He said, I'm not judging you. He said, but I've spoken the word to you and the word that I've spoken to you, that will judge you in the last days. So not even, see, so you're not going to be judged by a future, some, some future idea of judgment. You're going to be judged by what he said and what he's already said. So it's not, okay, think of it this way. It's an open book test, right? He's not going to surprise you with, with something that, that you don't know you know ahead of time what the test is going to be. And the test is, what did you do with what he said? That's the test that you're going to be judged by. Then he says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall... Now watch this. Okay, now I've got to read this again. Verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness. So all the prophets point toward Jesus, right? That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Who receives remission of sins? Those that believe in him. You got that? What does that mean? That means that, now we, we understand all sin was forgiven, but everybody has not received forgiveness of sin and people have not received forgiveness of sin is still under sin. You get that? They have, they, everybody is not forgiven. Do you get that? Yeah. If they were forgiven, if everybody was forgiven, then nobody would have to get born again. But the fact is, the way you receive remission, now, all sin was paid for. But 
you have to believe in him to receive remission of sin. If you do not believe in him, which means what? Keep his commandments and do what he said. He said, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? So if you keep his commandments and believe what he has said and you believe on him, then automatically we can see that you have received remission of sins. But if that is not you, you have not received remission of sin. You get that? You, will st you are still under sin. That's why the difference between wheat and tear. And you can see that in church. You can see people in church all day long, anywhere you go. And, and you know, it's not just any one group or anything else. It's everywhere. That wherever you go, you're going to see people that they are, it's amazing. I don't even know why they come to church. They're still dead to God. You know, matter of fact, that from the time they're in the building till they leave, that's all of their, that's all of God there is in their life. When they leave, that, you know, most of them don't even bring a Bible because they wouldn't pick it up at home. So they don't, you know, and you say, well, it's on my phone or it's on my, okay, I get that. I totally get it, right? But what I'm saying is that when you are home, you don't pick up a Bible, right? The only feeding you get is maybe here or in a church. I'm not talking about just you. You know, this is all over the world. But I'm saying we have to realize God is not, Jesus is not returning for a cold, dead church. Ain't going to happen, right? He is coming for those that are looking for him. He is coming for those that love him, the Bible says. And so we need to realize that if you're cold toward God, you need to set yourself on fire. Amen? And that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring that fire. And, the and that fire is not just a fire of enthusiasm. That fire is to burn out all the dross. That fire of the Holy Ghost, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy, Holy Ghost and fire, is talking about a fire that burns out all the stuff, the carnality and the stuff that tries to keep you from God. See, you, you need to realize that if, you're, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, He has a desire to commune with the Father. He has a desire to spend time in the Word. He, you say, why would he want to do that if he wrote it, if he's, if he's in there? Uh, because it's truth, and it feeds your spirit. It feeds your soul. It feeds you. I, I do not, as I said in the first I do not understand people that have access to everything and waste it. I don't get that. You know, if anything, you know, if you don't want to live your life, then tell God to give me some of your years, right? And just go ahead and take you, take you out. You're okay. You know, you'll go to be with him or whatever. And I'll take your, your extra years and live to be, you know, 120, 150, whatever, because I got stuff I can do till then. Amen? And it all be for God. But if you don't want to live for God, you know, if God is just your, uh, <laughs> your, your retirement, your, your eternal retirement plan, uh, then I got news for you. You're not born again. Amen? Now, and, and now I will say this. Have you ever heard that statement? Here we are. I don't know what it is with the old, old statements anymore, the old sayings. You ever hear people say, um, well, they're so heavenly good, they're, no, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever hear that? Right? Okay, let me tell you. That could be true, but very seldom is it actually true because really it's the people that are heavenly minded that are, in, are, are of any earthly good. Right? Because the Bible says, if you... It, he says, those that have the coming of Jesus in the forefront of their mind, they are the ones that purge themselves and purify themselves. See, that's one of the worst things about people believing that Jesus isn't going to come back. Why? Because you stop purging and purifying yourself and you start living like that servant that says, oh, my master delays his return. And you start living like the world. 
instead of saying, uh, I know he's coming and I'm going to purify myself because I know I'm getting ready because he's coming. Amen. And you look at people like, again, I, I know I've been talking about George Mueller a lot, but it's, you know, it's a good life to look at. And he was heavenly minded. And because he was so heavenly minded, he was able to be of earthly good. Why? Because he knew God. And if you know God, you're heavenly minded. It's that simple. I'm not talking about you being hung up on, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to heaven. That, you know, the, the world, it's, um, there was a, a book just recently that we talked about called a Conversion and um, Discipleship. And they said in there, the world will never be changed by people whose most radical thought is, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Think about that. If that's the most radical thought you have, you're not going to change this world. Right? Uh, the, other, the other one that I like a lot is what they said about William Booth, or what William Booth actually said. You, nobody ever erected a statue in memory of a person who left well enough alone. Right? It's, they always erect statues to people who said, no, we can do more. We can do better. Things should be better. And then you work toward it. Amen? The last thing the church needs is a bunch of philosophers. But that's what we've created. Philosophers are people that just sit around and think about stuff. We don't need people that just sit around and think. We need people that get up and go and do. Amen? He said, Kree, you sure talking a lot about works. That's because nobody's doing them. Right? The church bounces from one side to the other. It goes from one ditch to the other. It goes from grace to works. And they have to realize, it's all grace, it's all works. Yes, it's all grace and it's all works. Right? It's all grace up to God. We work as if, as if it's all up to us. Amen? That's the way this works together. Right? We don't get anything by works. We work because we have grace to work. It's really, really simple. So, trying to read this. Let's read it real quick. He says, um, yeah, <clears throat> go to verse 41. Not to all the... Well, no, no, we've got to go up further. Um, remission. There we go. Verse 44. Sorry. While Peter... Now, watch this. He's pre now, what has Peter preached so far? Has he preached anything about the Holy Ghost? No, he hasn't said anything about the Holy Ghost, has he? He's talking about Jesus, prophets give witness through his name. You believe on him and receive remission of sins. Look at this. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. You get that. He hadn't even preached the Holy Ghost. Hadn't even preached the baptism of the Spirit. And yet these people received the baptism of the Spirit just by him preaching the word about Jesus. Then he said in verse 45, And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues. Now notice that. How did they know they had the gift of the Holy Ghost? They heard them speak with tongues. Amen. There you go. And magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? In other words, they'd already received the Holy Ghost, right? Because this is after the day of Pentecost. Well, now let's go back to the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now I'm going to tell you real quick, two things on this. Number one, I'm going to be doing some teaching in the very near future about sound and about uh, its application and its accomplishment. Okay? But... Uh, this 
aspect of a rushing mighty wind. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but there's a preacher in uh, South Africa named Angus Buchan. Uh, the movie Faith, about, uh, Faith Like Potatoes was written about his life. And uh, I actually have a video of where he was preaching in, in Gedi, in Israel. And it, he's preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as he talks about, and he's out in the middle of a place, and then, I mean, it's, there is no wind, nothing. I mean, it, you can tell because there's nothing flapping or moving at all. And he starts preaching about this rushing mighty wind. And while he's preaching on it, all of a sudden a wind starts and goes through. And not just a wind, but it starts knocking stuff over. I mean, literally a rushing mighty wind came through it just as he was preaching about the re receiving the Holy Spirit. And, it, and then as soon as he finished, it stopped. It, it lasted like three minutes. It just started and stopped. And it is amazing to watch. I'll, I'll see if I can dig it out and leave it for y'all to watch sometime. But um, it, it is amazing to watch some of the things that God does. And it wasn't, it wasn't planned, it wasn't expected, uh, but God just showing off, amen? God likes to show off. Now, he says, and suddenly there came from a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Later on, you'll see whenever the Holy Spirit descended in the same format, it said the whole house was shaken. And do you know that Sound, notice there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It doesn't actually say there was a rushing mighty wind, but it says as, as of it. And there was a sound. And do you know that, well, I don't want to get too far into this in sound, but there are, uh, they've made developments in sound now. Sound, they use sound to actually break up things like kidney stones and that kind of stuff because it can be directed to a certain organ of the body. But it can also be directed to a certain person in a crowd that will cause that person to actually think that they hear whatever they want them to hear. For instance, one experiment they did was with a, a sound of a car wreck. And they shot this sound. Nobody else could hear it. But they shot this sound at, directly at this person. And this person heard what they thought was a car wreck. And everybody just walking down the street. And all of a sudden, this person jumps to the side by the wall and yells as if they were surprised. And when they asked them what's going on, they said, Are you kidding me? I thought that car was going to hit me. It was a wreck. It was a and there was no wreck. It was just a sound that they beamed toward them. They're working on sound weapons right now. They've been having it actually since the 1940s. They've actually had weapons using sound waves to actually destroy buildings, cause them to fall. Uh, gives you an idea about Jericho, right? You want to do some research on it? It's just some basic things. But these, uh, the sound and the vibrations of these things, of the sound itself, uh, actually does different things. And so anyway, we'll probably be talking about that in the near future. Anyway, he says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And that meant Ignorant and unlearned. You'll see that later on in the book of Acts. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. And then he goes through the whole list of them. Now, but I want to go on down to verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What means this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. Again, Peter, opening his mouth. And said unto them, You men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. 
For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore, now he's quoting David, of course. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in hell. And the word there is Hades. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Right? Again, proving that Jesus died physically, which is not what Islam says. Uh, and, and so we need to realize he died physically or else he would have seen corruption, but God raised him up before his flesh saw corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with your countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his grave is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, Hades again, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus, God hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. So what does he say? He's saying this is the Holy Ghost. This is that comforter. This is the one that was coming that was with them and is going to be in them and dwell with them and never leave them, right? And he said, now watch this, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he has said himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until, notice there's an until, I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now look at verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children 
and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Who is this promise for? Everybody that God calls. You hear that? If you, now notice this. Now, we, again, I don't have time to teach on this today, but we will in the future uh, talk about the callings of God. Okay? Uh, the, many times when people say that, they'll say, well, the gifts and callings of God are, 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 are not uh, you know, revocable. They won't uh, go away. All right? uh, number one, that word calling is not callings. It's calling. Okay? It's not plural. When we say callings, then people think in terms of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, uh, you know, whatever other, other gifting you want to talk about. And we think of that as a calling, right? Your calling is God calling you to himself. You get that? It's not your calling as an apostle. It's not your, that, that's just your function. On the, you realize that's going to end when this is all wrapped up, right? You're not going to be an apostle forever, right? You're only an apostle now. If you're an apostle, you're only a prophet now. All that, that all is just here now for the edification of the church, to build the church up, to grow it up. When the church is grown up, then we won't need them anymore. You got that? And so, but now notice, the Holy Ghost is for everyone whom God has called. So if you're born again, it's because God has called you. Your calling is to be with him. That's what Jesus he said. He ordained the 12 that they should be with him. He didn't ordain them to preach. He ordained them that they should be with him. Think about that. And because they were with him, then he sent them out to preach, right? And so your calling is to be with Jesus. Your calling is to spend time, to abide with him, to fellowship with him, to commune with him. That is your calling. And so now notice, he says, and this promise of the Holy Spirit is to you, your children, as many, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So it's for you. If you're born again, it's for you. Real simple. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's, that's a good sermon, right? It's good results. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul. And see, fear needs to come upon every soul in the church again today. You need to have a fear of God, not in, well, <clears throat> I was going to say not in the sense of that you're, you, you fear, but Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill you, but fear those that can not only do that, but can throw you into hell too, right? You need to recognize God is to be feared, but if you're on his side, you don't have anything to worry about, right? The only ones that have to fear about something happening to them are those that are against God, right? And you can see that all through the book of Acts, you see people that were against God, Ananias and Sapphira. There you go. People say, what about that? I thought God's all good. He is. And he protects his church. And it's going to be a chaste and pure virgin. Right? Real simple. And every time you see anything going on, I guarantee you, it's to protect the church. And so people need to realize they have this idea of God that he can't do stuff. God can do anything. You understand? Now, he has limited himself to how he deals with certain people. Right? Do you get that? But he can do anything. And so, and people say, well, then, then how do I know my sickness isn't from God? Be on God's side. You'll never find any place where anybody on God's side was ever sick. Right? It doesn't say that God gave sickness to anybody. You go through the Old Testament, read that stuff. It was always people that were against him. Right? You say, Craig, you believe God gives sickness to people? No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that what you have to realize is that uh, God is God and you're not. And you need to recognize that and serve him accordingly. Amen? Okay. He says, um, 
Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, house, to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Right? You know... Um, th there's been this ongoing long battle in the church, arguments, I guess I should say, over the years, over um, free will and predestination. Okay? Now, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Right? You want predestination? There you go. But I will tell you this. <clears throat> if you... How can I say it? Some things become self-fulfilling prophecies. Right? Many people who believe strongly in predestination, uh, you, you almost always, almost everybody that believes in predestination always believes that they were predestined to be saved. Right? Most of them. Now, there are some that aren't, some, some that don't. But the thing is, if you believe that doctrine fully, you will either live very good or very bad. Generally speaking, okay? Bad part is, same results with free will. You either live usually really good or really bad, right? So bottom line, it comes down to this. If I believed the typical, uh, well, yeah, the typical, the standard teaching on predestination, if I believed it the way it is taught in many circles, I would still serve God. Even, let's say I believed that uh, I was predestined not to be saved. Well, even if, the, even if I believed that, I would still serve God. Why? Uh, because the life that we live now, serving God has benefit now as well as in the life to come. And if the life to come was in God's hand and yet I was living my life now, it would still benefit me. Why? Because if I live according to the Word of God, I'm going to be sowing good and I'm going to be reaping good here. Right? So my life here if there was no afterlife, it would be worth serving God because of the sowing and reaping that would take place here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's really simple. Now, and I would think that maybe, okay, what if I got it wrong? What if I just thought I wasn't predestined to be saved, but I just thought that, but in reality I was predestined to be saved? Well, then I should at least live like I could be saved so that I wouldn't change God's mind, right? You say, well, God can't change his mind. I hope you understand what I mean by this, right? I know that. Does this make sense to you? I would still live right, you know? Um, and I would do my best to try to change God's mind, okay? By living right and saying, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I really am predestined to say, I don't get people, and, and I know I've been saying this a whole lot, but it's because I've been seeing it a lot. I don't understand people that don't have a hunger for God. People say, well, I just don't get it. I just don't have that hunger. You know what? If, if you want hunger for God, it's very easy to get it. You, you can develop a hunger for God. All you do is you start doing the things you're supposed to do, and you will develop a hunger for God. Right? This is why Charles Finney had such uh, success in, in revivals. It was because he went, everywhere he went, he preached the same thing. And it always caused people to turn to God 
and to analyze their life and say, I can do more for God. I'm really simplifying it. But all I'm saying is this. If you have absolutely no desire for God, well, first off, you do because you're here. If you didn't, you wouldn't even be here. You know, unless maybe you're trying to, maybe you believe you're predestined to go to hell and you're trying to change God's mind. I don't know. Maybe that's the other thing. But if you're here, okay, but if you had no desire to serve God, then you can actually change that. Why? Because one of the, the, the beauties of how God made us is that we can change our mind. We can change how we feel about things. And the fact is, what you look at the most, you develop an affection for. And it's just that simple. So now, if you think you're going to develop an affection for God by spending, if you took your life and divided it up by everything you do and counted the minutes for each thing, I guarantee you, if you're cold toward God, I guarantee you, you spend less time with God, less time reading the Bible, less time thinking about God than you do anything else. And you say, well, that's why I'm cold. Exactly. Start thinking about God. Start reading His Word. You can develop, you can discipline yourself into a hunger for God. You understand that? You can develop that. And, and you start to create a way of thinking. And you can rewire your brain to think righteously. You got that? So for somebody to say, I just don't have that desire. Okay, fix it. That doesn't let you off the hook. You know, it's, it's amazing how people say that. Well, maybe I'm just predestined to go to hell. Well, you're guaranteeing it. Right? If you want to change it, change it. And you change it by what you spend most of your time doing. What you love to do is what you spend your time doing. What you spend your time doing is what you love to do. So don't tell me you love God and don't spend any time with Him. That, that is a, it, it is a physical impossibility. You get that? You cannot do it. Whenever you were dating or whatever it was, I guarantee you, you found time to call. You found time to, to go visit, to go on a date, to spend. You went out of it. Why? Because it was so important to you that you made time for it. And what you make time for is what's important. That's what it is to you. So you, you, can, you show the whole world and, and not only the world, but you show angels, you show demons. Yeah, come on. If, if, the Bible is very clear. <clears throat> the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over the face of the earth, seeking those in whom he can show himself strong. God is looking for people in whom he, sh he can show himself strong. Guess what? The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking those he can devour. So for most people, God and the devil probably walking side by side, looking at your life at the same time. God saying, can I show myself strong? No, I can't. Not in them. Look at them. They're not applying themselves at all. I, I can't even get them to read my word. And the devil goes, oh, look at there. There's a person with no word in them. Easy prey. See, that's the way the devil thinks. And we have to realize you determine whether you're easy prey or whether you can be used of God. It's not, it, understand, God the more you put yourself toward God, the more he puts himself toward you. That's the way it works. I, you know, well, I don't like it that way. Well, then, you know, write your own Bible, all right, uh, and see how that works out for you. A lot of people have tried it. It doesn't work, right? So at some point, we, we have to decide, I'm going to go after God all out, nothing else, nothing's going to get in the way, nothing's going to stop. I'm going all out.
And when you do that, God says, guess what? I'm going to go all out for them. I will go out all out 100%. They, they, if they draw near to me, I will draw nigh to them. That's what the Word of God says. But most people think, well, yeah, but you know, you, you're, you're gifted in that area because you, you like that stuff. Guess what? I developed it. I studied, I read, I forced myself to do things when I didn't want to do it. And you know what? And now I've developed an addiction to the Word of God. Right. I'm addicted to the Word of God. I'm telling you, I cannot go to sleep at night unless I read the Word of God before I go to sleep. It's just, I can't do it. And that's not the only time I do it, and my mind stays there. And you know why? Well, you know what the benefits of that is? Well, if my mind's on the things that are good and pure and holy and all that kind of stuff, guess what? <clears throat> things of doubt and unbelief and sickness and disease, they don't even get in there. And they got no, the devil's got nothing to work with, right? Why? Because you keep this in there. Amen? I'm telling you how to live a free life. This, this is a good life. You don't have to worry about the devil always coming. And I'm telling you, I'm one of the most positive, you know, not just positive-minded, but I mean, I'm one of the most positive people you'll ever meet because I believe we can do it. Why? Because we have him. And we can do all things. I, you will never hear me say, oh, well, we can't do that. Well, no, I don't think we can do that. Nope. Why? Because I'm going to stretch. And I'm going to say, well, we had not done it yet. But that's just another thing we got to do. It's like I tell people all over the world. They say, will you come here? Yeah. Why? Because uh, i got to go into all the world. Hadn't been there yet. Might as well go there next. Amen? So it's the same thing. Just because you hadn't done it doesn't mean you're not going to. It just means that's another area to overcome and win. Amen? Y'all get this? This is a, if you get a hold of this, you start pushing yourself in that area, discipline yourself in that area, I can promise you, your life will change. You say, but if I, if I take that time, I don't have time to do that. Yes, you do. You know, matter of fact, if you start putting that time toward that, you watch and see if other time doesn't come available for you to spend more time doing it. And, and people say, well, you know, what about my job and these kind of things? God will balance that out. He will, he will give you increase in other ways that you won't have to work as many hours to make the money you need to make because you're spending your time, you're delighting yourself in Him. See, when you do that, He changes all that towards you. But most people don't realize faith means you have to let go of one thing before you can grab the other. See, most people want to just, you know, like <clears throat> swing in trapeze. You know, they want to go from one and they want to grab the other and then turn loose. You can't do that. At some point, you got to turn loose so you can grab the other thing. Right? At some point, you got to turn loose of the world. Got to turn loose of the way the world thinks. Got to turn loose of the fear, the doubt, the unbelief, all that stuff. And you got to go for faith. And you got to go for the fact that God is in you. He loves you. And he gave you his Holy Spirit. Now, again, the last question. If you have received the Holy Spirit, do you believe that it is truly expedient for you that you have him with you as opposed to having to wait for Jesus to show up? Because if you believe that, I tell you, if you believe that verse, your whole life will change. It will change. I guarantee it. Amen. Let's right, so all stand up. Father, I thank you. Your word is true. We can depend on you. You are faithful. And Father, I thank you that even today your word has come forth directly, clearly. We thank you, Father, that the enemy has no place to hide. We thank you that your people hear and obey your word. We thank you, Father, that those that have ears to hear hear and that they put it into practice so father in the name of jesus right now we thank you for your mighty holy spirit we thank you now for a fresh new infilling of filling up a running over that overabundance of just life through the holy ghost we thank you father for the supply of the spirit of god in our life 
that we are filled to overflowing. We've got so much of him that we have some to give away. So Father, we thank you right now that we are consumed with your spirit, consumed with you, Father, and consumed with your son, that just as the scripture tells us that when your son appears, he is our life. We thank you, Father, that we know he's coming after a pure church, and we thank you, Father, that all the wrinkles and all the things that the Bible talks about and the spots and wrinkles and all that, that they will all be removed. And so we thank you now for a clean, holy, pure church, a church of faith that when the Son returns, he will find faith on the earth, but in us. So, Father, we thank you right now. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Right now, all those watching by internet, we bless you. We say be healed now, right now. In Jesus' name, be free. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. And you can stay free and live free. And right now, in the name of Jesus, every sickness, every disease under the sound of my voice right now will obey. It will leave now. In Jesus' name, we set the captives free. Be healed and whole right now. Spirit, soul, and body in Jesus' name that you have your life has been reconciled to God. Your mind, your body, your spirit reconciled to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.